Christmas. Definition. A composer of songs. Hello and welcome to Songsmith. Today we are talking to singer-songwriter Boo Hewardine. Boo is an English singer-songwriter and record producer. His work includes lead singer and creative force behind the seminal band The Bible, as well as solo recordings and work for film. He has also produced records by several artists, including a long association with Eddie Reader. In a career spanning over 30 years, Boo is considered one of the UK's finest singer-songwriters and has become something of a national treasure. In the last number of years, Boo has been producing and collaborating with many young artists. He continues to take musical risks and delves into his own life for inspiration. Boo's relatable and poignant lyrics about life and the world around him resonate with his fans and we know you're going to enjoy this interview. Hi, Boo, and welcome to Songsmith. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Eva. It's lovely to be here. I had read that you worked in a record store, and I'm just when you were younger, and I just wonder um, was it a conscious choice that you wanted to work in a record store because you loved music, or was it, you know, something that you, you found yourself in this job and exposed to lots of different music? And how did that influence you? Oh, I really wanted to work in a record shop. Before yeah. then, I'd worked in a shoe shop, I'd worked in a photo retouching factory working a record shop it was, it was the coolest record shop we were in cambridge it's called the beat goes on it's where all the cool people hung out i'd gone there when i was younger to get my single signed by the jam who came in to do a signing so i was like wow. oh, one day i'll come and work there and i did and then i worked there and we all got all the imports and all that sort of stuff so yeah you always you always got exposed to loads of music and then i worked in the warehouse which was kind of even better because you could just listen to whatever you liked while you were sort of doing your warehouse stuff. As a songwriter, that must be an amazing resource to have. Loads of ideas I could steal, just <laughs> might put them in my little notebook. No, it's just nice. What you realise when you work in a record shop or you work in the warehouse or whatever is what makes you ears prick up. It, it's got nothing to do with style. It's just to do with talent almost. So I stopped listening to genres. I st- I just started listening to good stuff. So it might be a good reggae record or a good soul record or a good rock record. It, it didn't really matter. You were just sort of, your, that became more important, sort of checking out talent or people who've got things to say rather than being genre-led, which a lot of people, when I was growing up, you were in, you were in one tribe or another, you know. So, But you kind of had to be really for all the necessity because... I mean, records were expensive and... Not for me. I got a discount. (laughs) But for for the average person, um, you know, if you bought a record, it was an investment, you know. It was a lot of money back then and there was no internet and there was 
there was very little way of exploring uh, other music. Yeah, I was lucky. I got to hear everything if I wanted. Um, and that was great. And the way you heard about records was a sort of word of mouth thing as well. Like there were quite a few shops in the chain and we would uh, like say, oh, have you heard the news and so or that import or that thing or and it was uh, it was exciting, and I I like I it was really good fun going into record shops and sort of finding something that you've been looking for for ages. I mean, it's brilliant now; you can just press the button and it arrives at your house. But you know, there are a few records that it took me ages to find, and there's a thrill of the chase and stuff like that. You must have an amazing collection. So, have you been? I, I haven't anymore because I. I I don't know. I'm not. I I did. I had a massive record collection, but I I decided not to drag it with me. Might do it for one move because I'm not really like that. Mm -hmm. But I've got friends who've got like a whole room full of records, and but I can listen to anything anywhere now because of streaming and stuff. So I'm my own worst enemy. <laughs> is there anything in particular you discovered, you know, that you might have picked up otherwise, like say music from the fifties or? I always did. I've always enjoyed going back and, you know, right back. It'd be like a, a point zero for anyone who worked in the record shop was the Robert Johnson albums, you know, volume one and volume two, uh, old blues records, and of course, all of that's really fascinating. But the thing I think I really took from it was my. I was really drawn to the indie records as they were then. Indie actually meant they were independent, and I used to just I just was drawn to that. So later on, when Eddie was on Rough Trade, that was really thrilling to me. Even though I, had, I was on some major labels as well along the way, being on Rough Trade was like that felt really sweet after shifting boxes of their records about when I was younger, you know. You mentioned Eddie Reader, and um, how did that start? How did you start working with Eddie? Well, that started in Wimmore Lane in Dublin because I accidentally was asked to be part of a record by a woman who's left us now, a really lovely woman from Texas called Laurie Freelove that was being produced by Kevin Maloney, who produced Fairground Attraction. And while we were working on it, Eddie band split up and she had no work really and so kevin suggested she come over and sing backing vocals on laurie's record which she did and um it's called smells like truth that record and it's uh, no one's ever heard it but it was kind of quite a bit ahead of its time she was really fantastic laurie and uh, we just started chatting and ended up staying up all night making up songs and stuff like that. So it's been ever since then. Yeah. Uh, initially, when my band split up, she basically took my band, and that was her first band. They were the two of the McCall brothers, Neil and Callum McCall, were her first band. And then I carried on writing with her. And I didn't start playing with her until after the album called Eddie Reader, which was the one that won the Brits and all that stuff. But I wrote about half of that one. That was really exciting because she went to America to make the record and she's in America with all these incredible musicians, uh, like people in Steely Dan and stuff like that. And um, the guys she went out with, they sort of fell out. So he left and so she's got this band but no songs. 
and she remembered some songs she'd heard me play when I was on a TV program of hers called Most Stilettos on the Dance Floor that was filmed in, in Glasgow. And so she asked me to sing uh, the song Patience of Angels, which she'd heard me play down the phone to L.A., very early in the morning. And then four days later, she played it back to me down the phone. And then she said, have you got any more? And I ended up doing that five times, I think. It's such a fantastic song, Patience of Angels. I've been watching the YouTube video as well. I love Eddie Reader on the bus. And it's just a beautiful song. And you were nominated for an Ivor Novello. I was, I only got my certificate, which I'd lost for 20 years. I only found it (laughs) yesterday. In fact, I just I just put it on the on the wall next to one of my guitars. What's it like getting nominated for an Ivor Novello? I, that's very good. But the thing that's a bit strange is that they told me that I had won. So that's what they do. They tell you before you've won. And in fact, it was printed in the Evening Standard that I'd won for the best song. And then they changed their mind backstage and gave it to Celine Dion. And then they asked me to be a judge for the following year. And uh, that was a bit embarrassing because they went, oh... Oh, sorry. So they literally told you you <laughs> oh. won and changed. They changed it. Yeah, they said, and the winner is. And I was just, I was with my daughter, was very young at the time, and they said, the winner is. And I was sort of getting out of my seat because everyone told me. And they said someone else's name. And uh, my daughter looked at me and went, oh, dad. And that was the worst bit. Oh. You should have won. <laughs> you should have won. won. It should have been me. should have been you. Well, I've got I've got the certificate on the wall, so that's all right. Does winning that make much of a difference in terms of, I mean, does that open a lot of doors? For- it might have done. I'm not, I've kind of bumbled along, so it's just it's just a funny story, really, now. That's all it, and it was even like on the day after, and there were lots of people around me and being outraged on my behalf. I just thought it was quite funny. So, Do you know the one that won? What song it was? It was Think Twice by Celine Dion. Oh, okay. That is a pretty good song, though. Yeah, I knew you'd side with her. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> yeah. No, um, Peter, uh, yeah, no. Uh, but it's not, as good. You're, you're, it's not as good as Eva's you. Eva's, Eva's on my side. No, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. thank you. Think twice. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, that's when I uh, first discovered mm-hmm. you. Actually, was on that album. Um, I, I yeah. had Eddie Reader's um, first album. And to be honest, I was a big fan of Marky Nevin's writing he's brilliant mark he's absolutely brilliant we still play some of his songs in the set yeah but i what, what i remember about getting that album is hearing some mark's songs yeah, great on songs. the album but then i heard patience of angels which was the standout track and initially i, I probably would have presumed it was a marky nevin song and I, when i saw the credits and i saw your name i was like there's a, a new guy in town you know and uh, it was it was a fantastic transition really to go from she, I mean, Mark is a brilliant songwriter. He's, he's, he's brilliant, and we're all we're all really good friends. He's a lovely man. Uh, it's yeah. just um, things change, don't they? It's the biggest musical adventure of my life, meeting her, because it's been 30 years now of just wonderful little adventures, you know. So, Can I ask, in terms of when you write a song, and Eddie Reader is probably 
one of the best singers of all time of her generation. She is. She's incredible. She is. I mean, there's no other way to put it. She's incredible singer. Yeah. I could write any old rubbish and she'd make it sound great. No, <laughs> she's very selective. She's very selective. And and her husband, John, who you know, John Douglas, yeah. is a fantastic songwriter. Uh, so, uh, and she's a great songwriter as well. So it's like, it's always, I think, obviously the performance with her is paramount. She's And she's, uh, just while you were coming online, Eva, she's starting her run in the West End tonight. She's in a musical of Brokeback Mountain, which has been built completely around her by the guys who wrote Jamie, which was the huge hit last year. So really exciting times. Oh, that's um, that's the guy from The Feeling, isn't it? Cells. That's right. It is. I love The Feeling. Yeah. While you were coming on, I was sending a message saying, wishing her good luck. Brilliant. She is um, obviously a fantastic, fantastic performer. But I think one of the reasons it's so exciting and fresh still is that she's an amazing she she really wants to have fantastic material all the time you know whether from me her john or other sources and i think that sets her apart because there's always new material coming through of a hopefully a really high standard you know i wonder when you're writing songs actually boo you know are you writing them for yourself with other people in mind or is there a different approach if you're writing for other people yourself, or even I, I, I had read that you were doing um like the soundtrack at one point for Fever Pitch, the Fever Pitch, well. and twenty four seven and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's it it's all different. When I'm writing for myself, that's the hardest. And I've only just started feeling since that last record the, the sort of stirrings again. It sort of goes away for me, but I can write with other people. I write a lot, so. Especially during lockdown, I made loads of new sort of writing partners. I've got a really lovely guy called uh, Vladan Nosel, who lives, who's a young guy. He's only just thirty in Bratislava, and we write all together all the time. That's that album's finished. We're just about to start putting stuff out. I've written an album with a woman called Zan Tyler. I've written an album with a woman called Lady Nade. I just love to write. If I'm writing with other people or for other people, it comes really easily to me. But when I'm writing for myself, I find it very, um, very difficult. Funnily enough, in in I, I was telling Ken about how I go into prisons and, and work with prisoners, and I wrote something today, which that's that's one of the first ones of recently. Where I went, I think this is a keeper. So you never know when they're going to come from. But it's writing for yourself is such a strange thing. Yeah. I've, I've always found it harder. Writing with or for other people comes really easily to me. How does that happen in terms of, like you mentioned some few people there that I, I'm not familiar with. There's some new people. Oh, oh I'll tell you the other person who's one of my favourites to write with is um, Peter Wilson, you know, Duke oh, yeah. Special. Yeah. Uh, I love writing with Peter. and we, We've written a bunch of stuff together and he'll come He'll either come here or I've met him uh, like the old year in Belfast and we'll write there. It just comes really easily when you're with someone, especially if you know you've only got a couple of hours together. And do you kind of get set up with these people or are you initially or do you seek them out or did it, do they seek you out or send you demos? And No, it tends to happen very naturally with uh, one of the people I mentioned, Sam Tyler, that was, she came on one of my workshops online during covid and uh it's I, that this is why i do it really so I, she was quite sort of um 
unsure of herself, but I thought there's something that, you, that you're doing that's really good. And then I worked with her. We wrote together. We ended up making an album. And the first single just got sent to radio last week. It's getting played loads and she's got a record deal. And that's why I do it because it's so exciting to sort of see someone and go, I think, I think you're doing something great here. Let me help you. So that's why I do that's all the work. So generous. Well, it is, except it isn't because I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's um, well, the best gift is the ones you, you know, you give other people and you get something yeah. with yourself. All my friends, like you talked about Gary Clark, all my Eddie, all my friends are singers or singer songwriters. And if there's sort of opportunities to make new connections, it's like so Vlado and Bratislava, he's getting married next month. And me and my wife are going to fly over and watch him get married. And that's all happened because I make up songs. It's lovely. That's why I do it. And in the band, like say with John and Eddie, and you know, there's a lot of writers in the band. Mm. When it comes to an album do you say eddie here's my songs and not really she asked me to do that once and i did and i wrote her loads of songs and i don't think she ever took them out of the jiffy bag which is fine i'm not complaining they just happen naturally they just sort of it's always so organic it's really fine obviously she lives with john and uh, there's a it's a, there's a few more john songs of late but that's just great the whole thing about eddie and the whole thing with eddie is it's Whatever happens, happens, and that's the joy of it. We, 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 it really is. I don't know if you, you saw us. We, it really does feel like a family. You know, we all look out for each other. So there's no, oh, but you got two songs on that one, and I only got. We don't. No, that never, that never surfaces. There's no ego like that. We feel that we're there to serve her in terms of the show she wants to put on, and that's. It's a really nice feeling because I've been in bands when you're younger and it's all competitive. There genuinely is no competition. If John comes in with a brilliant song and we start playing it, we're all like, great, we've got a good new song or vice versa if I do it. I was thinking understudy feels like a more personal journey. I, mm-hmm. I When I, I could describe the um, album to Ken as it feels like a warm hug. That's how it feels. Well, like that's, that's nice. And it kind of it was the ge- genesis of those songs, even though it goes off piece a little bit, was during that time, uh, my dad was in a care home and I could speak to him like this, but I couldn't see him. And a lot of the songs grew out of conversations or situations, thinking about him it's all about him or or reflections of him, even if it goes, like I say, off piece a bit, but he was there in the middle of it. So it really it really was. Uh, that's lovely that you feel that. Now, I'm sure if you listen to the lyrics, it'd be hard for you to make a connection, but he was in my mind when I was writing it. You know, so. I, I thought there was just this underlying theme of compassion and empathy for yourself and for other people, whether it was your, your father. I had read that he passed away during... Covid and yeah. so sorry for your loss and yeah it, he was we 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 were able because he was even though he's pretty old is that he was always really good with technology so we we were never felt that I was you know because I live in Glasgow and he was down in Cambridge so we, but it never felt that we weren't in contact we'd speak yeah. four or five times a day you know it was kind of beautiful and I I spent a lot of time asking him about 
things he'd done when he was younger, which you, 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 when you're growing up, you forget to, you forget your parents have had lives. So it was, uh, we had lots of brilliant conversations. And he's a really fantastic musician who never did anything with it. So we talked a lot about music as well. And you dedicated the album to Yes. Him? Yeah. yeah, I did. And it was, it was, so he was, he was, every time I sat down to write something, he was in my mind, even if the, the subject matter went away from that a bit. It was, uh, it was, I was able to let him hear some of it when he liked it. And that was a big deal to me because he's a really, uh, he was a, a music connoisseur for want of a better word, you know, so. I suppose one of the most obvious songs is Why Are Bringing Flowers? Yes, that's totally about visiting people in, in, in hospitals. And that started in an interesting way in that one of my favourite songwriters that I've ever met and worked with is, a, is an American woman called Kim Ritchie. And she said, I want to write a really romantic song. And that's not something I normally do, but we did. We wrote this really romantic song and that's the melody. And then I just said to her, listen, there's something else I think I want to say. And I just take what we've done and make it into something new. But it was great writing with her because she, I don't know, with her help, I think the, the music's very, um, it's, it's better for having written it with her. And just when we were playing it in Denmark just now, Chris playing it with me, he came up with a beautiful arrangement for it. And it's uh, it's, it's become one of my favourite songs I've ever had a part of, you know. We might sit in silence Listen to the traffic hum No one tells you how to be Still I know that I should Can you tell us about magnets? I think, which I think is a fantastic. Well, magnets is mag, magnets was a, it's, it's kind of a joke in that they're all things that, um, that I've seen on people's fridge magnets. Yeah. But it's not actually a joke. It's kind of like at the end it says that you know when the person you're meant to be with, actually they're the magnet, not the things on the fridge. Love that you've said that because Ken and I have been almost. Um, We've been in a serious debate about magnets for, for a bit because I loved the way you took all these um, well-known phrases and kind of interwove them together to create something unique and something fresh from things that we're used to hearing used all to the hear time. It, yeah. And it's so cool. I thought it was just so innovative and it was so clever. And as I was listening, I was like, that is so, so clever. Oh, thank you. It's, so, it's just meant to be, yeah. For my missus or whatever, it's like we're the magnets, not all the other things, you know. So, yeah. and it was it was the last thing I'd written, and it, it's at the beginning because the guy who puts my records out, he's like, you got to put that one first. I, I agree with him. He, he, yeah, I thought it was the perfect song to start the album. Yeah, I like it. I like it sonically as well because it's very beautiful vocal on it. Oh, thank you. I just wanted it to feel like you're in the room, right? And then it goes off on little adventures and stuff like that. Hey, 
said there about the uh, common phrases I actually missed that so I took everything at face value and um, when we were discussing it was like oh it's made up of all these kind of uh, kind of cliches and things that are well done well done <laughs> and I was like yeah, see, no, no it's see. not <laughs> <laughs> it totally is I felt kind of duped you know, I was like oh <laughs> yeah but I think that's yeah. testament to how good yeah, it is it got me you know you know yeah that like People didn't realise. That's probably my favourite song on the album. It's just fantastic. Even though it's sort of almost like a joke, it ends up being something else, you know. But aren't you saying in the song too, even even if all these kind of cliches, there's an element of truth to them? Yeah, but and I'm a big fan of fridge magnets. I just I've, <laughs> Our fridge has got millions of them on, so it's, I'm not dissing fridge magnets. I'm just sort of saying it's human beings who draw each other to each other that's all i'm saying it's a sign my mother has up over her door um don't take life too seriously no one's getting out alive <laughs> <laughs> but they're good yes they do have yeah. truth in them so it's not a mocking song at all no. no not at all and all of them are true today is the first day of the rest of your life oh it's true yeah it you is don't, you don't have to be i didn't put any things like you don't have to be mad to work here or on the, the way you twisted that kind of line afterwards you know to dance like um no one else can see. I just thought, oh my God, he just put a little twist on it there and it's completely yeah. fresh and new. Anyway, I'm a big fan of that. Thank you. 40s, the new black is a good one. <laughs> yeah. That's a good line. That's a really good line. Uh, can we talk about our other songs and understudy? Mm. I really liked um, Men Without a War. That was my wife's idea. Oh. She saw some boys sort of bashing around outside and she said, oh, look at them, they're, they're Men Without a War. And I thought, oh, can I have that? Mm-hmm. So I, t- I took her idea and ran with it. But it's very, it's very Beatles-ish, isn't it? Is McCart- might say more McCartney than Beatles-ish. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's all to do with, um, it's all to do with bizarre, like pushing descending bass lines as far as you can. Mm. Um, but the thrust of it is that, um, but it's anthemic and it has that kind of. George Harrison slight guitar solo on it, and uh, you know has a kind of Beatlesh strings, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. I went mad with that, but it's also at the core of it is saying men uh, struggle with uh, them, their manness. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, and I, I felt that that was one of the the reasons when I listened to that song, I was like, oh, it's kind of like it might be a strange time for men, for yes, a lot of it, men. Yes, it, yes. Wars and COVID and we're surrounded Whoa. by social media and, you know, it's a lot like, you know, there, there's a lot going on. And I felt the compassion from in the, yeah, in yeah. the lyrics. I felt the compassion or the empathy for young men and kind of what the struggles they're maybe going through yeah, right totally. now or the confusion. Yes, totally. 
but it's her phrase and um it's a great so, one so i had to give i had to give her a credit on that i saw that <laughs> <laughs> i i think that all right she was very pleased We were wondering, was it geared at any kind of political aspect? Well, at the time I wrote it, the awfulness hadn't happened, and and, uh, I don't know, it's not. It's more to do with um, how groups of men essentially behave, you know, like uh, getting drunk and smashing things up and stuff. There's a sort of, it was just a, 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 it's not not a a judgment or anything, it's just saying, uh, acknowledging that that happens and it exists. And it, I think when it gets to the chorus and says we're all the same, it sounds a bit sad, you know, and I put the court, the changes are, are sad, you know, even though it's anthemic and the changes in the verse are quite up. So I just wanted to reflect that in the music. But yeah, basically, musically, it's how many descending bass lines can I get into one song? <laughs> and I think I broke the world record. <laughs> but it's, it's probably one of your biggest sounding songs yeah it was of- really good fun and the, the other person who was involved was Vlado who I've just mentioned from Bratislava he came up with that fantastic really grandiose bit that happens after the chorus he's really good he's so talented was that the string section is it? Uh, it just the writing the strings was a lovely woman called uh, Shona Aitken who's uh, one of the most genius people I've I've met. She's a fantastic string arranger, violin player, a famous jazz singer. Has her own program on Radio Three, so she's very hard to get hold of because I I don't think she sleeps even. You know, so. she's so busy. Shona's not done any stuff for Eddie yet, though. I've been telling her that she should really consider working with her because that was a it was a real joy making this record because. Everyone was really sort of good about helping me and doing things as efficiently as they could. So I was, it's always important to me that I pay people properly, but everyone rewarded my faith in them by working really hard. So I have a room with Chris Drever and a couple of other people that is a studio that used to belong to a friend of mine and before then belonged to Blue Nile and before that belonged to. Teenage Fan Club, and it's a room that I've loved for many, many years. And between four of us, we've taken it over. It's a, it's just a writing room, really. There's not much of the way of gear in there. There used to be, but we like having a writing room. And Shona came with the her quartet, and we recorded the strings in that room. And that was a very special, emotional afternoon, you know, because it was just so lovely. Like everyone's like, "Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, this is gonna be great," and everyone was sort of on my side. It was a lovely feeling. You know. Can I ask you about Someone Else's Blues? Someone Else's Blues, which is probably my favourite song to play off it. And I just, I really love playing that. That had come, that came from a funny place, is that I had written a song for a friend of mine 
for an organization called the Great Divide, which was he he has a thing where he's trying to get computers for people in Scotland, young people, if they don't have them and they can't afford them. And he's done this in Africa. That's his what he does. He takes old laptops out to sort of poorer places in Africa and stuff. And he said, well, why am I not doing this here? So I wrote this song for him and I sent it to my manager and I was so pleased with myself. And then he went, I don't like it. And I was like, what? He said, right, okay, I'm going to write a really good song then. So I, I wrote someone else's blues in a fit of peak. I wrote that in an hour and sent it back to him and then just to prove that I hadn't lost it. There's a lovely line in it, uh, today I saw the mirror cry. Today I saw you make the mirror cry. It's a lovely turn of phrase in terms of, you know, just see someone standing in front of a mirror. It's totally about empathy, that song. Yeah. Totally. totally. That's why Eva was saying earlier about empathy. I mm. thought of it like my kids. and yeah, Totally. People. I've got kids as well. It's like if you have a bad day, that's one thing. If one, someone you love has a bad day, that's far worse, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, just the end of the song, there's a horn kind of arrangement. And I was curious because I said, there's either one or two things happened. Either you arranged the whole horn section, didn't like it, but then you said, you know what, it's all good. I'm going to have to keep it somewhere, stick it at the end. That's sort of what happened. There's my friend who I've worked with for many years now, who's called Gustav Lundgren, who lives in uh, Copenhagen, who's a genius and can play any instrument at all. And he did do a horn arrangement for me. And I thought it was a in the song i it, it felt a bit much but then actually we were listening back to it and just by accident we'd stuck it on the end and i went well it is it's so good let's leave it there i like it if so, an accident happens so the guy who was producing with me was like oh is that wise well, i don't so i don't care i like it so it stayed on you know and i really do like it when it when i hear it on the radio i really like it yeah happy accidents are fun like that (laughs) yeah and it is a beautiful arrangement it seems a shame that people wouldn't hear it you're so collaborative um Mm. It doesn't sound to me, or I had a question about, you know, how difficult is it to kind of give up control of something that you've written to hear or someone else sing it, whether it be Eddie Reader or Katie Lang or whoever it is mm. singing singing on the song. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking now listening to you, it's not much of an issue at all, but how do you feel about hearing other people sing your stuff? It's incredible thrill. And I really like it if I think, do it differently to how I would have done it. It's It's amazing. Um, you can you can't break a song, you know. You can sing it in lots of different ways, but if you, for example, if like my way was done by Frank Sinatra and it was also done by the Sex Pistols, it's the same song. You can't break a song. You can just do a different arrangement. And sometimes people have done arrangements of my songs that are way better than I thought of. So it's a, a, a big thrill. I've always been completely 
flattered and thrilled to hear someone do one of my songs, you know. And when you're hearing it on TV and film and things, look at that. That yeah. must be thrilling as well. Like Bell... Bell Working Candle. Yeah. Bell Working Candle, yeah. That's, that's been used loud. It's been used in so many things. That must be, you know, the little song that keeps on trucking away. Yeah, it's just, yeah, they go off. The good ones go off and have lives of their own that have nothing to do with you, and it's brilliant. It's really good fun. I remember holding you a fall through summer skies You're everything that I've become Every word I say I need a bell Sometimes quite strange ones. The song that probably has been that I've been involved with in the lot, and it's only in the last year that has probably been heard by more people than any other song I did was I have a friend called Simon Wells, and he came to one of my workshops and he nagged me and nagged me and nagged me to go into the studio. And I went in with him for a day. He doesn't sing or play, he just has ideas really. He don't like and writes lyrics, but often ideas musical ones and I wrote a song on that first record um and he's done another record since with my son who's a writer as well who also has written stuff with uh, D Cullen as well so he's that sort of thing and he this song is a song about how I me would like to be a cat and I thought well I'll sing this no one will ever hear it and Simon will be happy it's it sort of got picked up as a TikTok thing and has been streamed over half a billion times. Me singing about how I want to be a. Did cat. you say half a billion? Yes. What? That's crazy. <laughs> it's on TikTok. If you put, if you put Simon, Simon and the Astronauts, I'm just a cat. You'll see hundreds and hundreds of thousands of videos, many of them with millions of views of me. Grace to TikTok with me. <laughs> so i've done all this time trying to write songs like magnets and all that stuff and actually when i'm gone all i'll be remembered for is wanting to be a cat (laughs) that is so cool though (laughs) yeah that's just how the world works these days i think (laughs) but uh, just to let you know i don't particularly want to be a cat it was just a a favor for simon you know i'm just a cat that likes to have fun Long lazy days I lie in the sun I'm just a cat As quiet as a mouse So let me in Open your house I'm just a cat Let me concur No need to fight Just stroke my fur I'm just a cat I don't play fetch I'm not a dog Allow me to stretch yeah, well, that's crazy. After working out, <laughs> <laughs> one thing I noticed in in some of your songs is you you do not every song, but some of your songs you do this technique of pairing an object with a human quality, like say magnets with power of attraction, yeah. silent bells, which is kind of saying somebody yeah. without love is, is kind of an empty vessel, like a silent bell. Bell booking candles is kind of both. Uh, getting rid of uh, memories of somebody and yeah. microfilm about memory. So you, 
you have this kind of technique of matching objects to emotions. Well, I'd never thought of it like that. I'm going to just mix it up a bit, I think. Uh, well, I've I've uh, I've cherry picked these obviously from your catalog, so it's not in every song, but it's, it's, it's I'd say a lot of songwriters do that. But I just yeah, it's quite a bit metaphorical. Uh, sometimes they're stories like straight ahead story songs. It's interesting, like the talking today when I was we with um, my pals working with guys in the prison, and you're sort of sort of talking about that. And yes, you can be metaphorical. What's really interesting, though, is that quite often these guys, and I've, I've done it for about a year now, they'll write things and it'll, it'll just say what happened and they've got some incredible stories. And it's it, 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 and I remember when uh, Steve Earle produced my band and I, I love his story songs. So um, I do. I probably do fall in the metaphorical camp, but I have a lot of admiration for people who tell it like it is i just can't help myself i think um writers as well who actually just tell the story mm. um kind of look to people who are very kind of cryptic and mm. you have to search for that deeper meaning and really admire that and you know that need a few listens and um i think that's a real skill and um, it's nice to hear you saying that the people who were writing just telling the story the Ron Seal of songs does what it says on the tin. Is, yes, but know, that's something like Steve Yes, of course. But yeah. all I'm really trying to do, and I've got a tiny number of people, but the fact that I've made up a song in this room a couple of years ago and then you you got it, that's enough for me, you know? Yeah. It has well, a life now. Yes, and also it sort of made sense to you, you know, and then... yeah. That's nice, you know, and that really is, uh, as a songwriter, that's, you kind of, like on this little tour and a couple of times, you I, you can feel it when you're doing a gig if someone, you can, it's like a physical feeling when people are getting it. Mm-hmm. And then people come up to you afterwards and say, oh, that, that really spoke to me or whatever. That's that's really good. But they are quite, yes, I do tend to go off in, into, a bit of, into a bit of poetry. I try... Quite often when I don't do so much, I I like it. But um, that's one of the things I like about that, um, Someone Else's Blues, because I didn't filter myself because I wrote it so quickly, and I quite like some of the unfiltered lines in that, you know. Yeah, how long is the part, like, how long does it take you to write a song? I know people who, if it's not working in the... In the first half hour or hour, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Do I you don't ever unfinished I, songs? I don't abandon them if they, they come back and sort of whisper in my ear. And sometimes it can be years, and sometimes it's very quick. But I don't think. I think that your subconscious is always working away, and there's a story that Brian Wilson wrote, "God Only Knows," which is one of the greatest songs ever written, in my opinion, in seven minutes. But he didn't. It was all the it's all the stuff that he'd done before was all leading up to that and all the thoughts he had had and all the so yes, writing a song quickly is not a virtue in itself, but it does sometimes happen quickly. But when it does, I'm quite aware that it might have been bubbling away behind the scenes for a while, you know. I like that. Yeah. I, I'm gonna ask I'm gonna say something now that um behind you on the wall is the um album cover of understudy it's just i've been looking at your face oh well under, a under, floating under, head in my car for <laughs> a number of this, weeks i love that's, that picture that's that's yes. not 
that's not the picture. I'll tell you oh, what is that this? is. It, it looks is, like it, it from here. It is. That it, what it is, there's a really lovely venue that I play uh, in Winchester, and the wife of the man who owns the uh, venue, every time I go there when I've done a new album, she's done she's done the album cover, she's embroidered it. That's embroidery. Wow, that's beautiful. And it's that's beautiful, amazing. and I love it. And then I said to him, Oh, she is so thank her so much for me. Um, she must sort of be doing embroidery all the time, and she and she says no, she only does yours. So that's nice. Well, that's a compliment. That's so lovely. So that's me. I'm such a big head that I have a picture of my face embroidered on the wall. Uh, yeah. This is see, I've got all my trophies on the wall there, uh, <laughs> but that's it's partly and uh, my new Ivan Novella there. That's partly encouraged by my wife because she said you should put these up. You should be proud of them. So I, I agree. You should you should put yeah. them up. You, you know yeah. they can be stuck in a box, getting dusty. Yes, that that there, that's something I really loved for uh, my birthday. Eddie painted that. Wow, he's a fantastic painter. So that's that's me back there. I don't suppose you can see it that well, but it's a really, really lovely painting. Cool. That was my birthday present. That's gorgeous. Was mm. that for a big birthday? It was. It was it for was the big for one. Big <laughs> I've not got long left, so <laughs> chop chop. Well, I heard you feel like you're 25 in real life. Well, yeah. <laughs> I th- well, it's funny. Like I was hanging with the guys today. They're much younger than me. And I, f- I forget that I'm older. I don't. I don't. I don't feel any different because I've I've done a job my whole life where you don't have to grow up, you know. So. Yeah. Can I ask you about the name understudy itself? Is there kind of a meaning behind that, or? Well, yes, it was a little bit that, and I don't mean this in any negative way. That I've sort of trucked along for a long time and not become particularly well known. I'm very happy, really happy with everything I do, but I felt a bit like I felt a bit like I'm understudying if. if someone else dropped out that I could it, I could it could be my big time to shine so I'm having a little dig at myself so that's all yeah I kind of picked up on that and you've heard a song called Limelight it's a similar thing I'm not sure I like that song anymore I think it's a bit I think I I think it's a bit over emotional I like most of my songs but I listened to that not long ago and I thought oh calm down <laughs> 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 Stand in the limelight Stand in the limelight Stand in the limelight I think you kind of veer between classic brill building type songwriter and other types of personal songs as well, like uh, Why You Bringing Flowers. Do you see yourself as kind of a, a brill-building type songwriter or, or do you look at those guys and kind of admire the craft? I, yeah, I love that. I love the factory element of that because it produced some amazing songs. It's like Motown. They'd go to work and write, go to work and write, uh, heard it through the grapevine and then go back home again. I think there's a lot to be said for writing in that way something seeps in it doesn't mean you don't write beautiful wonderful songs it's just a bit more organized and wandering around in a field sort of waiting for inspiration so i love that element and but that's song craft you know versus you know writing songs from the heart and i don't think it's verses though you you can't tell me that heard it through the grapevine isn't one of the most amazing songs and i think i think 
saying craft versus art i don't for me that's that's not a, that's not the payoff because you can have something that's really artistic but not very good or something that's really well crafted but really cold but but uh, you know a lot of carol king songs are just fantastic songs but they were written in a in a, in a hot house environment i think white christmas was written for example on a summer's afternoon in the brill building mm-hmm. and you know it's still a classic song that, that people emotionally get involved with you know when you get to a situation where you're writing with someone it, that the situation is not the song. So if I'm say with Peter Wilson or something, and we've arranged, I'll, I'll be there. There, but, but but what happens in the room is is magic, you know. And the thing about those people who did the Brill Building and the people who did Motown is that they were there, and magic was happening every day. That's my feeling on it. So I, sometimes when we say very well crafted songs, and I, I, I uh, in a review, it makes me sound like that they're, they're they're cold, but they're I promise you, they're not. It's just I have I, I have an appre- I have an appreciation for how songs are put together. I it fascinates me and and actually as you go on, when I first listened to records, they were like an amazing sound, and I didn't know what was what. I remember listening at my and I lived at my grandmother's, listening with a tiny radio under the speak under the bed covers, like people would do, and listen to river deep mountain high and it was you know like in tina turner it was the biggest sound i'd ever heard in my life and i had no idea how it was made i spent my life kind of accidentally learning how everything was done some records i love when i was young now sound different because i've learned things it doesn't lessen it actually makes you go oh my god i can see I knew it was brilliant, but now I can see why, and it makes you even appreciate it even more. I suppose the classic example is Lennon and McCartney, where Lennon kind of wrote pretty much a lot of personal songs, and McCartney wrote well-crafted songs, and I love both of them, you know? Yes. I probably veer personally more towards McCartney than Lennon. I love the crafted song, you know? Well, he's, he's also, his sense of melody is beyond anyone else from that period. Though John Lennon's incredibly influential melodically. His one-note melodies with the chords moving around, it was fantastic. No one had ever really done that before. and It was just, a, like all things Beatles, it was like this miraculous meeting of, of, of opposites attracting. Um, so I do know what you're saying, and I probably sounded a bit like almost defensive there. It's just uh, something I feel really strongly about, that some of my favourite songwriters have been what are called jobbing songwriters, but they've blown me away or moved me or reduced me to tears, you know. Myself and Eva are songwriters ourselves, and um, most of my songs tend to be um, song craft rather than personal stories about my life. I think if you're writing songs, if there's a kernel in there, even if no one ever knows about it, if I'm writing with someone, we call it Norwegian Wood, because Norwegian Wood was a true thing. He was disguising something, but he was singing about something that he, you know, he'd done. And um, so there's always a kernel in there for me, and that's what makes it work. You know, I think if sometimes when I used to write with pop singers a lot, I mean, you'd be spent half a day with them, and then you go, what's this song about? And they go, well, I don't know. That's fine. Good, good for them. But I think the people that have, sort of slave me they've always there's always been this kernel there and 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 that and that's really true of of brill building songs and motown uh team songs there was always something in there that was theirs or but they were just transforming it into something that was universal that everyone in the world got 
And I thought, that's an amazing skill. Yeah. And Carol King, amazing. They're all real things about how she felt about growing up and being who she was. And and yet it, she reached everybody. Yeah. And so I've got a lot of I've got a lot of time for that. I think that's so it's great. Uh, some mm. of my other favorite artists do these really professional, um, not reaching out records, and they can be beautiful. But the fact that uh, will you still love me tomorrow? Everybody knows that, but you kind of know that somewhere in there that was some little heart. Right. I just, oh. I'm a big fan of Carol King and Tapestry yeah. is one of yeah. my favorite albums yeah. of all time. Mm. And I just think everything is personal. And I know I, I always take things at face value. What, what are you trying to tell me? And yeah, you know, and it's all about how, what you take out of it anyway, as a listener, I think. It is, but I mean, she, she had an immense ability to make everyone feel that. Yeah. And that's a really incredible, special thing. And the Beatles did that in their own way, maybe sonically or excitement-wise. And what's interesting is you hear some of you, you hear a lot of my records, obviously, and I'm really, really grateful you do. But that I also uh, I've got an electronica record coming out this year, which I wrote with a woman called Jenny Sturgeon, which is not song form at all. talked about having a writing room we talked about being you know two years and you've obviously got your room there and you know being able to kind of sit still for a time after being touring how how did that affect the writing process it's very concentrated you know quite often and I've just been on tour which is wonderful so many adventures and I love that and I love the fun you have doing that and I love mentoring with people going to do my workshops i love producing and stuff but to actually be able to sit all day with one idea doesn't really happen very often and that was just it was quite quite profound in in tandem with what i knew was happening with my old man you know so it was this really bittersweet sort of thing but it was lovely as i could share it with him i could say well what do you think of this one dad and for the people as fortunate as myself and i know i was fortunate it just felt like I've been given this sort of bizarre respite from that, you know, but that's going to probably to people who had bad times. I really have empathy with that. So I'm just talking about my personal experience, you know. Absolutely. And in terms of that, I'm really interested to hear about your um, songwriting workshops and obviously it must be amazingly rewarding to work is a songwriting workshop you're doing in prisons as well can you tell us a bit more about well, that I, I what i like doing about it, i the first time i did them was was because i was asked by some guys from denmark actually and i first did it in denmark it's a coincidence i've just been there and i and from that it grew and then i started doing them for the prs and it's so it's, it's over 20 years now and i do a lot of them in Scotland anyway before I moved here in a beautiful place near Inverness and for me the joy is working with people and getting to a place that they tell me they might or not have got there unless I'd help them so for example I don't know if, if you're aware of D. Cullen you know do you know him he had all right all right he's he's from Dublin and he's he's been on Late Late Show a few times and uh he 
he's brilliant. You've got to check him out. You should oh, interview absolutely. him. He's absolutely fantastic. But he came when he was 17, he came on one of my things, and I ended up producing one of his records and writing quite a lot of the second one. He's up for Hot Press Baby of the Year and all that sort of stuff. And that's, he's somebody who's come on one of my courses, the, the album I've got coming out with Jenny Sturgeon. She came on one of them. Um, and there are other people who've just gone on and done an open mic and they've never done that before. But to just to have a little part in someone's journey. And when we learn a lot of stuff doing this, and partly I feel it's quite good to pass stuff on so they don't have to go through the trial and error process that I did or some of my friends did and also I I let them know about you know some technical things about getting records out because it's it's everyone thinks it's dead mysterious but it doesn't have to be you know so I just like sharing I don't see why not and um, but but you meet up in uh, you kind of have a a retreat almost there is a place that I like to use which is uh the one I'm doing next week is in a place called Noidart which is a very this is not mine I'm being asked to do it it's a very remote part of Scotland it's on the mainland but it's so remote there are no roads so you have to get a ferry it's very beautiful um I'm doing that next but the place I normally do it is a place called Maniac Moor which is called Scotland's Creative Writing Centre and it's uh, sort of people go and write novels there or do poetry. And over the last 10 years or so, I've become part of their program. And I go up there and it's like heaven. <laughs> and uh, you go up there with 12, 13, 14 people and you just spend a week and I uh, writing songs. And I just sort of take them through some of the things that I've noticed. It's not a teaching thing. It's like that's great that song but do you know what if you move that verse to there would that feel different and and, and it seems to really make a difference to people mm. and so that's that's kind of it you wrote a song what have they done for tomorrow that was just to sort of reflect it's like when it seemed like our future was being taken away from us by lots of uh malign forces around us it's like and thinking about my kids and what's their life going to be like so it's just it seems a very different world from when i was younger when you everything seemed to be getting incrementally better all the time and then to to realize that actually it can go the other way what have they done with tomorrow What have they done to the years ahead? So much talking on and on till the end of the rainbow's gone. There was a guy that I produced a record of who uh, was a bit older and he came to one of my weekend workshops and he was playing and it was absolutely fantastic. And he had had a heart transplant. So as the first person I'd met who'd had a transplant, heart transplant, he said he wanted to make a record with um, for the hospital that had done 
that for him to sell to see if they could raise some money for it. He's just brilliant. It was he had, producing involved turning a tape machine on and recording him. There was not, not, nothing else, and he was fantastic. And I told some of my industry friends about it, and they were like, "This is amazing!" And they loved the record. And he was like, he was asked to go on breakfast TV and all that sort of stuff, and and he just went, "No, nah, not for me." <laughs> I, sometimes I sort of admired him for that. <laughs> I, I think some people want to take, like they can write, but they don't necessarily want to be the in in the limelight either. You know, they. No, but it was a very it was a very honest reaction from a man who's had a second go, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I didn't. It's like I I had to respect him because most of us would be going breakfast television. You say, you know, so it's like, oh yeah, that, you know, and just take every opportunity we get. So. I I don't sometimes when people do walk away from it, it's kind of interesting and a little bit life affirming, strangely, you know. Yeah. So. You've been called like one of the Britain's most consistently one of yeah. One of the <laughs> by um, Coleman and the Independent on Sunday. That's abundantly clear to me that that's the one of the, most, the truest thing I've heard in recent times. That's um that's a big statement. How does that feel? Like, because, you know, you've such a, a fantastic back catalogue of songs, worked in a loads of different mediums, you know, so proficient, like producing, playing or whatever. Do you sleep? <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm quite a lazy human being. Are you? I'm, I, uh, ever since, especially uh, my first child came along, I thought, oh, well, if we're going to do this, I have to, I have to make sure they're okay. It's not a hobby. And so, and this is not meant to sound pretentious, but when I go and do a solo gig, I feel a bit like a tradesman or something, and I turn up with my tools and I do my work and I love it, and people turn up and like it, and then I leave. So it does that. That, that to me gives me more satisfaction than, than anything, and that's how I approach it. I feel just feel very lucky that I managed to uh, get through by doing something that. I like doing, you know. What do you think it takes to be like a, you know, working songwriter and not to have it as the side job, the side gig that it is the gig? A lot of us don't think we could have done anything else particularly well. A lot of people who are fantastic, we sort of think if if I hadn't done this, I've no idea what I'd have done. I don't can't imagine it be. Uh, tremendous things but a lot of my friends who are amazing performers and are really driven writers and stuff it's it's what they're kind of good at you know and when people I meet a lot of people who say come on my courses saying I wish I'd done what you've done but you don't get any inherent security doing this which is fine you just that's like that's the gig but you also think well you didn't do this did you so that's fine that you didn't, but you know we all have we all go on different journeys. But most of us who do do it, we'd be pretty useless at doing anything else. I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> You've done some fantastic songs with Eddie Reader, and Thank you. Um, I mean the list goes on, but I actually narrowed it down to my favourites. So we have okay. there's Silent mm. Bells. Well, Silent Bells was, yes, that idea of, of uh, without love, we're Silent Bells. I think um, I also wanted to give something joyful to sing because it's, it's a really joyful sound when we play it. 
April Blues, I think is a great song. Oh, wow, I'm glad you like that one. Um, I really like trying to write jazz standards. If I'm relaxing, that's what I like to do. And I, I just really like studying old, uh, old chord charts and looking at all the little beautiful movements that you don't hear in music anymore. So that was kind of written just to please myself and then I took it to her and she liked it. Then there's footsteps fall. Oh, that's good. So in uh, Denmark, I met the woman that I wrote it with, Anjeta Bjergsfeldt, um, who over, over 20 years ago, I was in Denmark and said that there's this woman who has records out, she'd like to write with you. And she was late. Turn, she turned up late and she said, I'm really sorry I'm late, but I overslept because the couple next door were making love so noisily all night. I didn't get any sleep. <laughs> and that's where that song came from. And I saw her. She came to the gig. I hadn't seen her for 22 years. And she's a, now a successful author in Denmark. And it was brilliant to see her. Well, that's why I do it, because I just, like made this connection again. But that's where that song came from. And when their laughter fades, when there are no more words, the silence breaks me most of all. The other song that I had is Joke, which I love. Well, Joke was the very first song that I wrote or started that I thought was any good and I was about 19 and it took nine years to finish <laughs> but I remember I was still living at home when I was playing that and I would play the riff and my dad drive my dad mad but um I love I really like that I, whenever I play it I can remember driving my old, my old man mad it sounds like a song where you start with the title and then you know try and write the song around it Jim. it started with a riff which is missing which has actually ended up being missing from the song. And then I used the riff again in a song called Weatherman years later, which is about my son. And uh, so I, I wrote the song from around a riff and then took the riff out. 
which was, uh, and I always thought, well, that's a shame, that was good, so I used it again years later. Uh, the other ones I have are Muddy Water. That's a kind of about the beginning of my relationship with my my wife. When we she I met my wife, she lived in Australia and I lived yeah, and it was uh, it was quite difficult. Yeah, and I love the line um, and the CCTV camera never caught us. It's just yeah, yeah. I just that's an example of trying not to be poetic. Sometimes I just want to say I could have said, but they never found us. So I thought, well, what what would actually happen that. It didn't happen, but what would be a good way of saying it that isn't poetic? So I quite like not being poetic sometimes, you know. It was lovely to see something kind of domestic and something that's not very romantic kind of used in a song, like, a, you know, traffic horn or, you know, something that's pedestrian, you know. Yeah, I think those things can be more evocative than being poetic all the way through, definitely. And yeah, so, it's such a memorable line because, you know, I haven't heard it in a song before. Since it, it is fun to sing it as well because it's got all those... All those syllables. <laughs> Did not do what I should. I nearly lost it good, but the CCTV camera never caught her. All that time in the muddy water. Hey, The girl who fell in love with the moon. That was written in Denmark with my friend Jakob Eriksson, who is the lovely, lovely man who, uh, it's amazing how much Danish stuff here, but he's died, unfortunately, died quite young. He spoke better English than anyone else I've ever known in my life. And he would quite often be speaking to me and use words, and I'd think, I don't know what that word is. It was his second language, you know. He was a fantastic guy and a fantastic songwriter so i went over to write songs with him and we wrote a bunch of songs which i don't remember any of them but we were we, i had five minutes before we we had to finish and in fact i was sort of it was finished some of the lines as i was walking out the room it was written very very quickly at the end of a long sort of writing session and i just said can we write a song that feels like a like a, a fairy tale that's always existed? And he understood what I meant right away. I really like the line in that one. Um, now she's adrift on a sea of tranquility. I guess we were we were punching the air when we thought of that. The girl who fell in love with the moon. She tried to say no. But the pull was too strong There was a time when a moon 
That was probably his line because he knows words or new words. He was a lovely man. He then he then got Eddie involved in a film that my kids used to love called Help, I'm a Fish. Now you don't you won't remember that, but it was really big around the time my kids were young, and it was really nice taken to the cinema. And it, the film started, and they heard this voice singing, and they looked at me and went, "Is that Auntie Eddie?" And it was <laughs> Particle Daughter. Sometimes Eddie would set me homework and she would say, you get, you, what about, a, you said, what about someone who leaves and comes back, but is, is, uh, as a woman, not a guy. Cause most of the songs are about, you know, uh, green, green grass of home or all of those songs about men coming back. So what about if there's one about a woman coming back and that was homework. It's a great title. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, and a little bit about herself. She is an actress. She's a wonderful performer. She's an incredible interpreter. And she has to believe what she's singing. And sometimes in the past, I've given her a song and she's liked it, but she, I know there's a line in it where I've just put a line in and it sounds it sounds good. There's nothing wrong with it. So she roots out the untruth. She roots it out. She goes, what's that doing there? Yeah. And it's a perfectly good line, but she knows I haven't quite pulled it off. <laughs> She's a genius at that. Absolutely. It blew my mind the first time she did that. So how did you know that was the line I didn't cry on? She was right, and it, I, and the change I made improved it, and that continues to happen to this day. And the last one is um, is Dragonflies. Dragonflies has been an amazing song um, for me in terms of interaction, I guess. It is about how brief our time is here. My wife has a tattoo of a dragonfly there. Bass player Kevin in the Eddie's band has one there. Jill Jackson, uh, that I've worked with and produced a couple of records, has a whole sleeve of them. I've met about eight or nine people where it's really meant a lot to them. And people, uh, Jill had it played at her grandmother's funeral and it's amazing. You just have this thought, but it has in it probably... I think my best ever line, in fact, Audrey, my wife, is going to have it tattooed on herself at some point, Each, which is the line, each of us know in our hearts we must go, and that's what beauty is. I think that's the best line I ever wrote. So I, I, the fact that other people like it, it sounds a bit big-headed, doesn't it? But I couldn't quite believe it when I looked down at the page and it was there. I was like, where did that come from? Because it's true, we're all toast, but we might, but the brilliance of being here is what life is you know a last summer's day a lifetime away what do you find slow turning sun and somewhere to run on your mind 
the flash that you saw and was gone in the wake of a night. As soon as we're here, we disappear like dragonflies. People who are listening specifically for songwriting, what's the best bit of advice you could give to them? Right. Teach yourself the mechanics, but don't be afraid to ignore them. You know, and this includes like Dylan or whatever, or Lou Reed. They kind of knew how to put together a song and then they made magic by breaking the rules, but they knew the rules to break them. And the other thing is don't get in the way of yourself. Don't second guess. It's like, I see this so many times they'll go, they'll sing a line and go, oh, should it be this? Or oh, should it be that? It's just trust yourself that normally the first thing that pops out of your head, if it's not a, a cliche or whatever, is, is, is the one. And just don't get in the way of yourself. Don't be afraid to just blur out there. And then there's rewrites, but you won't have rewrites unless you've sort of got something on the page. So learn the bits and bobs and don't get in the way of yourself. Those are probably the two things. Are you surprised? Uh, Oh, this song is really, really good. And someone goes for the one that you didn't think was as good. Yeah, you'd think think by (laughs) now I'd know which ones are any cop. Yeah. I've, I've several times in the past been convinced by something and put tons of effort into making it come into existence and it's not flown and yet something that I barely noticed did well, I think that's true of all of us so it's very hard to know your own work yeah my last question is um Chris Difford well I've written with him the fourth record we're going to make we made a musical together that no one ever heard which was the hardest thing I ever had to do in terms of putting together a project and uh i feel so amazed that i know him but basically the way we work is he gives me words and i turn them into music so similar to what he does with uh, glenn tillerbrook i suppose we with glenn yeah and we've toured and become i'm just really glad i know him because he's from a different world and we have so much fun together and i really enjoy touring with him because it's just strange and fun like we're playing strange places and who knows what's happening next. I have his book, actually. It's a good read. It is a good read. And we're going to do, we've done it before, we're going to do an Edinburgh show this year, um, which is so much fun, which is like, where, like I talk, we talk a lot, play some songs, but it's very, it's really nice. It's not like anything else I do. And I really, I really like Chris. Yeah, he's been through a lot too, hasn't he, over the years? And Nothing like I've been through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually just really fantastic to talk to you, Boo. Thank you Thank so you. much for coming well, on the podcast. It's well, I've really such enjoyed a pleasure. it. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for talking to us. Well, we'll see you again when we come over, won't we? what did you think of the interview today with Boo? What was very interesting about Boo is, first of all, the amount of work he does. I mean, he seems to constantly be working on new projects, working with new people and exploring different genres and just getting out there and and doing the work and meeting new people constantly. And uh, he never stops. Yeah, I completely agree. He's great for collaboration. He's great for taking risks with um, young new talent and recognizing talent. I think one of my favorite things that he kind of mentioned about his songwriting process actually 
was um, how the subconscious is working away on the songs the whole time. You can see in, in the interview, he talks about working with people who are accomplished songwriters, but also working with people who attended his course or people that he met at songwriting retreats. And I think if somebody has got good ideas, they don't necessarily have to have a name or be highly accomplished or to be a released artist for him to, to see value in somebody's ideas. He's there for the talent. He's there for the talent and he's panning for gold all the time, trying to yeah. find the little nuggets. And he finds them in people that might necessarily be songwriters per se or or musicians or just people who have an interest in writing songs but mightn't play an instrument for example and he's kind of written with lots of different people like that and it's it's great to see him doing it and he's he's got some brilliant songs out of that as well i love his voice i think understudy now is one of my favorite albums of all time it's up there for me and i don't say that lightly i also thought one of the nice things he kind of talked about as well when we asked him about um you know hearing other people sing his songs was that you can't break a song what a what a quote you can't break a song and that yeah. different arrangements um bring something different to the song and he loves hearing it and and that was just so lovely to me he takes what he does seriously obviously but he doesn't take himself too seriously there's some songs there that i might have missed out first time and they're they're a part of my life now you know they're going to be songs that'll be constantly yeah. listened to i feel like that as well i feel like um boo you or dying is just going to be someone i'm going to be forever listening to 